1: Thursday, September the 29th, 2022. We're almost at the end of September, Mark, so another month. And tell you what, I saw something a little bit scary the other day. Not that I go there very often. Went to one of the big shopping centres and the Christmas (laughs) year is all up. Um, It's a bit scary, isn't it? Um, So, (laughs) yeah, a bit depressing, actually. Carols, as we Christmas get older, carols. Mark, as you and I know, as we get older, time flies faster. You think that as you age, it may slow down, but it certainly gets faster and faster, doesn't it? Um, but I because think- we're
0: getting slower and slower, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also, I do think that they're starting the whole um, uh, you know, celebration of Christmas as an advertising junket much earlier in the year. Um, trying to drive consumer demands up for um, gifts at a very early stage. Yes, so, they do the same with
1: all of the all of the um, celebrations, East. Easter, etc. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you're new to the podcast, vetgurus.com is a place to go. Look at all our previous podcasts, all 260 previous ones, and you can. There's a good little search feature there. You could search for, say, on reptiles, and it will pull up all the previous podcast that had reptiles as mentioned or a main topic there and it will also have link to our patreon site which you can help support us by throwing us a dollar or two every month which would be fantastic and also mentions our main sponsors there and just a shout out to one of our main sponsors microchips australia and doug and the team we have three main sponsors that help supporters and pay for our costs and thanks to Doug and the team and Mark you've been well we haven't really chat we had a chat about something else previously during our little our pre-podcast meeting didn't we our agenda meeting and I haven't asked you how you've been this week what have you been up to anything of interest
0: well we're it's I've got to tell you Brendan um, I'm between you know road trips as we discussed um and it's a lot of home maintenance i think of you often because i get the saw out and you know cutting a bit of wood to make a new shelf or and nothing is ever as good as the woodwork that you do um i just um i'm a bit of a hack when it comes to my carpentry skills but um but i've been thinking of you a lot because it's been home maintenance mowing and whippersnippering and um potting up the plants and um yeah all that sort of stuff so um so you're back into... More old-person stuff. Suburbia, yes. <laughs> i tell you what, I made, I did, speaking of
1: mowing the lawn, I mowed the lawn a couple of days ago, and now that we're into spring, not that we've had fantastic weather yet, but grass grows so quick once spring hits, doesn't it, Mark, in ah, the southern the,
0: hemisphere? The, these recent storms, a bit of uh, precipitation, and the increased warmth, um, and you're right, it just grows before your eyes. So I it's
1: one of those things like painting. I I, I don't think I could be a painter, Mark. And It's sort of a never-ending job, isn't it? You paint one room and then you've got to paint the next and then you've got to go back and repaint another one and then you're off to the next job and you start
0: again, scraping back and doing all the prep
1: work and away.
0: you Well, can. see, it's funny that you say that because I could imagine you as a, a painting, I reckon, would be of all the trades associated with, you know, uh, construction and maintenance of a home, painting would be like the finishing touch. You would come into somewhere and it would look like it was still being built and you'd paint it as the painter and you'd walk out going, that's finished. Um, I could see you doing that. <laughs> uh, it's, well, they uh, if if...
1: Push me now! I've got an area <laughs> I need to pay, so <laughs> I have to get off my backside and do that, Mark. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So let's get stuck into things. I think you've got the first news story, Mark. What have we got?
0: Uh, my first news story is Shark Cam, Brendan. Um, it's the story of, and, and I'm really interested in this because um, because it involves a tiger shark. A researchers. Um, placed a camera on the dorsal fin um, of a, a tiger shark. Australia and an Australian-led research team um, they uh, uh, st- published a study in the Royal Society Interface, um, and uh, they deployed small cameras on shark on a variety of animals. Apparently, on Western Australia's Ningaloo Reef, um, and combined this vision the video vision, with the knowledge of the shark's eye structure, um, to uh, make some comments about um, hunting behaviour and the visual system of the shark. And it was really interesting because target, tiger sharks are, you know, they'll eat lots of things, but they love to, um, they're probably almost considered a little bit of a sea turtle specialist. They often are having a go at sea turtles. Um, but it was a bit of a surprise to the researchers when they looked at the video footage and um and uh, noticed that the shark, like, sailed over reef where they could see uh, turtles resting on the reef just below an easy meal for the shark, they would have thought. Um, but um, they've come to the conclusion that the sharks uh, really just identify movement, that the turtles really have to be moving before the sharks will take an active interest in them. And so, so yeah, that's... Um, It's it's a really new avenue of research, putting um, these small cameras onto animals, whether it uh, be in the ocean or whatever, and trying to learn about them and their behaviour by observing the footage. Um, It's a fascinating area of of, uh, new research, as you know, electronic micro micro, uh, um, uh, shrinking um, has uh, gotten to the stage now where you can put these devices on animals and not necessarily interfere with their natural behaviour.
1: Yes, and I think with the battery technology of them too, they probably are at the stage where they'll record for a reasonable length of time. And the, uh, the other big limit, in fact, will be the memory, won't it? Um, with video, certainly sucks up a lot of um, storage, so with the... Whatever they put in their SD cards or whatever, SSD drive or something. I don't know if it's a because it's a fairly fair size unit, isn't it? The one they've yeah yeah on um, the chart, got attached so. to the shark there. So yes, um, good stuff, Mark. Well, mine is well, it's a little bit aquatic, I suppose as well. It's a segue to it, and it's about. Peter, the penguin protector at Phillip Island. And you love Peter, an alliteration.
0: You yes, any, any old... <laughs> search through the scientific literature looking for articles that have um, a repeat of the same letter in the clickbait headline. I'll well, wait to
1: see this week's main <laughs> topic, Mark. Yes, Peter has retired. And uh, for those of you who have been, the Phillip Island which is near, here, near Melbourne, tourist um, centre. Very, very famous for the penguin parade, Mark. And I remember going many, many times um, with my parents when I was younger and we'd certainly taken out our children as well. Where the, where the penguins come in after a bit of a um, day out um, fishing, fishing. Um, and Peter was one of the um, researchers, not just a not just a protector of those penguins. He was a research biologist there, working with the penguins at Phillip Island, and he began in nineteen eighty. And it, it's been a full time job, Mark, for him since nineteen eighty, and he's finally retiring. He's he's well, he says he's not had enough, but he's 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 been there long enough where he thinks it's time to. Waddle off, Mark, into the um, into the sunset, and he said, yeah. um, he's, "He's watched the penguins go from um, mid nineteen eighties. The government d- did decide to buy back properties um, to help the penguins because the numbers did go down because there was." uh growth with, with housing and, and buying up private land, etc., that the government sort of now stopped around that area so that they were um, fairly threatened at one stage there. But they've they boomed since then, the old penguins, so they're doing okay at the moment. Um uh, but he's also concerned Dan um or Dan they mentioned Peter, Peter Dan is concerned that there's also um I would say the penguins would be at least 100 animals jostling for space in his top 10 list of all native species that should have a right to exist that may be threatened as well so that they're not the only wildlife that he loves and that there. So a bit of a good news story, Mark. Um, how would you like that for a job, looking after the penguins for um, 45 years or
0: so? Um, I, I can think it... of far worse ways of spending 45 years, Brendan. Yeah,
1: and he's, you know, he's, he's been... He's been active during there. He's published a book and some um, fair number of academic papers at the same time. So he's he's done well. Fort, Forty plus continuous record of penguin research,
0: and that penguin called. parade, like you mentioned, it's a big tourist attraction, but it's um it's got to be one of the most like the the outreach the the number of people that the penguin parade has attend and therefore, and they do a great job of educating people about the the things that do affect penguin populations um so not only would it be a great place to work and and learn about penguins but it's um what are they the the impact that they have on um i don't know anyone in melbourne who i've been and i don't know anyone in melbourne who hasn't been so the reach that they've had has been significant
1: Yeah, it's a very popular day trip um, even for international tourists that come to Melbourne for one or two days. It's often you head down to Phillip Island uh, to see the penguins um, at at dusk, come in from from their little expedition and you're on the way, you go and visit a few other things, wineries, etc. cetera, or go, go to the beaches. Yeah, So there we go, Mark. There's some, uh, well, two good news stories, eh, um, for, for a bit of a change for right? us. <laughs> <laughs> in some of the bad news that's out there. So I think we'll jump into our main topic. And as I sort of hinted, it's one that I've chosen here. It's 10 top turtle tips, Mark. There you go. <laughs> It should really be 10 top Chelonian tips. Um, so, what it is, is 10 tips for the Chelonian consultation. Um, so, it's primarily aimed at vets who don't see too many turtles um, or tortoises, um, but we'll stick to the turtles. The questions you need to ask the client, the things that you need to rapid fire uh, to the client and get information about. I mean, one way of doing this is the forms that we've spoken about that a lot of the exotic vets, including myself and you use, where you ask the client to fill in a detailed form that does detail all the aspects of the the basics of husbandry that they're they're providing for their pet. Um, But often they won't fill in the forms completely and, and you still need to fire these questions off to the mark. So I might start with, well, it's no, there's no no real order here. Um, I've got got a
0: list, so um, none <laughs> we'll of that. start with whatever you put as number ten. What is your number ten? <laughs> no, I'm going to start with number one, Mark. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, we're going to start with countdown when you start with number one. Yes, we're going to
1: start with check the water. That's a pretty obvious one there. So check the water, and what does that mean? It is make sure the client is doing routine water quality testings and the basic ones we want to make sure that we do there are looking for the pH and the byproducts of the animal and the food etc and that's the ammonia and the nitrite and the nitrate so you know they're the three especially that we need to look for there's others that we may consider doing and i think we've covered some of this in more detail in a previous podcast if not we will in the future talk about water quality testing but it's checking the watermark Um, and it is amazing how many clients you say what is the ph or have you done your water quality testing and they say no well, bit... uh, or they only do it once, you know, once a month or once every two months where they take a sample of their water to their local aquarium and, and that certainly works and some aquariums will do it for free, but it's not it's inexpensive, isn't it, to buy a, a water test kit these days. You can buy it off ebay or online and it and it might be only twenty to forty dollars Australian equivalent and you've got enough to test for a couple of years. Um, so and I know reckon... that's number one.
0: That's a good good tip because um, those, when those parameters are out of whack, the water still looks clear. And so you're. And that introduces client-
1: number two, Mark, before you jump <laughs> in. <laughs> number two is regular water changes. Yes. So, regardless of the water testing, we need to do regular water changes. So, we want yeah. to do, we encourage at least every week or two. Um, You might get away with once a month in the really big, well-looked-after aquariums, but um, I generally say every couple of weeks as as a standard at least. And that's a partial water change, um, a fifth to a quarter of the water. So we don't want to do a full water change, and then we end up with that new tank syndrome that we've spoken about elsewhere. We won't go, go into here, but yes, regular water changes. So it ties in beautifully with number one. So that's number two, Mark. Number, I love them, Brendan. Number, number one three. and number two are great. Number three, check the UV light. Mm-hmm. So all animals need UV light, Mark. All animals um, need exposure or, or the option to expose themselves to UV light and Turtles, chelonians are no exception. So there should be a, a UVB light in that enclosure there. Mm-hmm. And another big failing is that the clients forget they buy. You know they buy the turtle, they buy the tank, and it has a UV light uh, baton there and, and a UV light in there, and they f- don't know. They haven't been told, educated to the fact that they need to change that light regularly. Why? Because over time the UV output decreases it decays over time and as a general rule we still recommend every six months um, to just throw it out and grab another one you could have it tested and and at one stage we did I did UV light testing I've got some UV meters at work but I can't remember the last time I tested a UV light I just tell clients to, to change them regularly and one option there is to just literally write with a a permanent marker pen on the on the light, you know, the globe itself, or, or next to it, or, or in your calendar on your phone or whatever for a reminder
0: to, to literally change it every six months. So that's and the key problem there, though. Brendan. The key problem is that um, those full spectrum lights, which have an excellent UVB spectrum, still look bright. They still have great white light, light after six months, and so yes, they, and they that's a, that's a real. Um, um, that's
1: the trick, isn't it? You, mm. the, the, you think they're still working because they're still giving out light and to our eyes they're still working and look fine, but it may not be pumping out any UVP at all. Yes. So Yes, check the UV light. That's number three. Number four of our checks, check the diet. Oh, this is a big one, isn't it, Mark? Check the diet. So we will... We're Rapid fire here today. So, we'll I'll just make a couple of comments and you might want to make a couple there. Um, and and my two comments are, um, think what that species would naturally eat and relate the diet that we try and replicate what it nap- naturally eats, Mark. Um, and that may literally be going out into the wild, into the backyard, um, and and Picking up invertebrates or or, or or insects or whatever that um, you have around your area and feeding them to that um, to that species, um, assuming it's a you know a, a local sort of species. There, um, yes, there are some commercial um, food items, um, and some of them are very good and some of them are very ba- bad. But gee, it's a it, it's a big can. Of
0: worms. <laughs> oh, you're a bad man. It As- is a big can of worms, and it's um, and many people don't realise that our, particularly here in Australia, but all around the world, that our Australian turtles, uh, freshwater turtles, uh, run the gamut. There are absolutely one thousand percent carnivorous turtles. And at the other end of the spectrum, um, those that graze entirely on filamentous algae and everything in between. And if you're feeding meat uh, or um, uh, uh, protein-rich sources to your uh, vegetarian turtle, you're going to get it into trouble. And vice versa, if you're not giving protein sources to your carnivorous turtle, you're going to get into strife. So make sure you know And they they really vary quite significantly. Um, And even amongst, uh, you know, what would be considered the same species, there are regional differences. So it is an area of of, of worms, the can of which has been opened. Um, But but do your research. Brendan, you're right.
1: Yeah, and that's that's where the vet needs to... Have at least some inkling of what to feed, and that's phone a friend, look up your textbooks if you're seeing these animals regularly, and um, look up resources like VIN, etc. Um, because it's amazing how many clients will, will have been told the completely wrong thing as far as
0: what to do um, for the diet. Oh, yes, this is one area where almost and you can find. 100% incorrect information on the internet. I know that's a complete surprise to everyone who listens to us, but there are sites which suggest feeding Australian freshwater turtles exactly the wrong food. Um, and yes. So you I have mean, to have you, a bit yeah, of an idea. It's tricky,
1: isn't it? That's where you need to provide handouts as well you know that summarizes those things because if you're doing a half an hour consultation and some people still you know and that's what i recommend for most exotics. some people are still doing 15 minute ones you're going to struggle to just cover the diet let alone all these other things so you need to have lots of information sources there number five mark of our top 10 turtle tips is bask make sure they have a basking area a dock as we Tend to call it, and ideally a fixed dock. Um, I just am not a fan oh, of those yes. floating docks because often the turtles don't like it and they don't seem to work very well. So we want an area where that turtle can do again replicate what they naturally will do. And what will they do? They will be in that river and they'll spend a fair period of time out on a rock um, in on the side of the river or in the middle of the river if there's a rock set up there. Uh, um, just bask you, Mark. Um, just just, just chilling, um, waiting for it to dive down and grab some food or whatever. So that we need to provide them an area where they can get out of that water and bask.
0: They definitely yeah. need a haul out. Now, you've, I know it's we're trying to do this fast. My one point about haul outs, Brendan, is that um, they, I like slopey ones because um, many nervous turtles will not want to expose themselves out on the rock particularly when they first go into an enclosure, um, completely. And particularly when they're small, and UV light is most important, they might not come out if they don't feel comfortable. Yes. And, and just slowly working their way up the slope and maybe not even getting their whole body. I've, I've seen turtles, little baby turtles, bask with just their head out of the water. Yep. Um. So a Excellent nice sloping point. haul out.
1: Excellent point. And they might just want to have, yeah, just say carapace sitting out. Um, yeah, and you, they've got that option. It's like our, our temperature gradients; it's giving them an option to be, you know, fully immersed or or partially or completely out basking. So that's number five. Number six: basking temperature marker. So that is you're hitting sure all the highlights, Brendan. We do. Yes, it's separate than our light, so we need a heating element. Over that basking area and ideally in one section or one corner of that basking area so we have a temperature gradient in the basking site so the turtle can decide I want to come out and bask and I'm feeling a little bit chilly I need to warm up a bit so we have a, a, a hotter area in one corner for instance or I want to bask but I'm feeling a bit too hot. And I want to be up the other end, but still out of the water. So we have a gradient there. So don't have the basking light just covering that whole basking thing. And and what temperature do you keep that? Well, it depends. The basking the temperature will depend on the species. So we won't yep. go into that um, in detail here. So, yes. And... As a general rule, we tend to recommend having the turning the basking light on in the morning and off at night, similar to what we'd be doing with those um, UV lights, um, turning them on in the morning and off at night. So they're providing them, because most of those UV lights have a, are a white light as well, and we want to make sure that they're having a daytime and a nighttime as well. We want the Number seven, Mark. Or... Yes. Number seven, we're ripping through them. Nature is good, is my comment here. (laughs) Access to natural light. So what the hell does that mean? That means that it's a good idea to think about having a separate enclosure outside the aquarium. And especially for these Australian turtles, Mark, it can be something as simple as just having a rabbit hutch in your backyard. An escape-proof, predator-proof enclosure for that turtle where it can get access to full-spectrum light from the sun. The sun. Yes, and we can just have a little tray of water in there, a little temporary pond for the day. So when we have a nice day, the turtle can be put out. It might be every weekend when the clients are home. They can put the turtle outside in its little outside enclosure. It's got a little hide there so it can get away, so it's not going to get cooked. Even on a mild day, if it can't get away from that um, sun, it might get cooked and, and you end up with a, a dead turtle. Um, so nature is good, Mark. Um make sure that they do have some access to natural light and i've lost count of how many snakes in particular but turtles as well that we see for a consultation that the that the consultation is because my snake or my turtle isn't eating and the client is is takes the client uh, takes the reptile outside um for you know half an hour an hour or so it hasn't been outside for for years or never and it eats that day or the next day mark so no matter how could we try and get get with the artificial light in It's still not as good as
0: nature. Sunlight is a beautiful thing.
1: Number seven. So number eight, a rich life for the turtle, <laughs> Mark. A rich life. Environmental enrichment, extremely important. So we want that turtle to have a good time. We want to provide the ideal or as the best environment we can for that turtle. That, so that's doing things simple cost effective may may not cost you anything at all once you've got the gear that's changing things around in the enclosure having different areas of, of hides in there putting logs or artificial logs and 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 um, floating barriers etc and moving those around um, potentially even even replacing putting um, act plants in there although the turtles tend to rip apart the plants they might eat some of the plants depending on what species of turtle we've got um there um but and they put pressure on that water quality there but we want the turtle to not be in a prison cell don't we we want them to experience the fullness of turtle life mark um, so ch- make sure there's plenty of cage furniture in there any tips for sorts of other things we can have in there mark
0: I often talk to people about the rooms in the enclosure, Brendan. I like, you know, um, different vistas um, so that particularly if there's a couple of turtles, they can have time where they're not necessarily looking at each other and that changes the social dynamics. So maybe some driftwood to create a little bay or what I think of as rooms, but you're exactly right. The more complex and rich that environment, their enclosure, um, I'm the the healthier they are, the more active they are. So, um, uh, make it a rich life for the turtle. Yes,
1: number eight. We get getting towards the end here, Mark. No, number nine. Check we- the temperature. So, we want this is water we're talking about. So we need typically most reptile enclosures, most turtle enclosures, we have a. Thermometer in there, and we have a little heater in there, and we generally—well, it, it varies between species. For instance, yeah. the species that we deal with, it might be anything from twenty-two to twenty-six degrees Celsius that we'd we'd be recommending there, but that the client needs to check the temperature there. And there's, there's—we could go on all day about you know, should, should ideally we'd have a temperature gradient in the water. You know, the only, and and the way you can provide that in a really fancy aquarium setup would be having shallow regions of of water and and deeper regions and um, your basking area would be obviously where that shallow region ends and therefore the water is going to be a little bit warmer in that region so check the temperature of the enclosure mark of the water in there is what we'd be saying to the client what is the water temperature in your aquarium for your turtle number 10 mark we're down to number 10 or up to number 10 this is a this is one we go on for ages but it's a common question I certainly get asked, and you probably do as well, well Mark. Ruminating on brumating, Mark. Um, <laughs> to or not to let your turtle brumate, or the old word was hibernating, um, and that's a bit of a tricky one. Am I for the for the standard aquarium setups? Um, when when that species would be naturally starting to slow down over the winter period, I generally recommend to the clients that they think about maybe cranking the temperature down a tiny bit, potentially the same with the with the um, basking site area, and certainly decreasing the feed and the and and how often we we offer the feed feeds for that those animals. We do have, and I'm sure you have as well, Mark. Um, people who do keep these turtles in an outside sort of setup there, and they their turtles, if everything goes to plan, may burrow down and and, and bury themselves into the equivalent of a riverbank, and and they the client may not see them for two or three months or so, and then hopefully they emerge at the end of that. Um, the only difficulty with that is if they're not quite. Optimum condition when they go into that brumation period that they may not come out again. So, but it is a common question, isn't it, Mark? Should I let what happens over the winter period? Should I take my turtle out of the aquarium and and set up some sort of brooding, in box or not? What's your quick, couple of quick minute comments on that, Mark? What have you got? Look,
0: I think in an ideal world, in a situation with perfect husbandry and one where you know that. Uh, your type of turtle would uh, brumate in the wild. You do want them to go through That's part of that full spectrum of natural behaviors we were talking about. But you're right, it's, it's a uh, high end husbandry to be able to manage a, a brumation there. Um, complex metabolic states that um, magnify disease as well as magnify health if everything's going well. Um, and I, I tend to um, reserve recommendation for brumation for those clients that I think uh, are at that higher end. Advanced, of
1: yes, absolutely, I agree, 100%. So there we go, 10 turtle tips. And let's go with a bonus one, Mark, number oh, 11. Bonus, dip. bonus bloods once every few years so when I have that client coming in with their turtle for the first time I do start um, prepping them for this mark Uh, even if it's a one-year-old little turtle that comes in I'd be saying to them look we'll do regular health checks every six or 12 months for your turtle let's get everything on track with all the husbandry and the things we've spoken about during this top 10 And then when your turtle gets to about three or four, we'll start thinking about sucking some blood from it, getting a baseline for your turtle, what is normal for that individual. And then if your turtle becomes unwell, we can be much more accurate in predicting if there is an issue there when we compare it back to what was normal for that individual turtle. And... I said, gee, it's rare, isn't it, Mark, that clients don't click with that whole aspect of yeah, preventative health and and realise. And I think though, you know, it happens all the time with humans, doesn't it? And I'd go for a yearly annual blood test. Um, for my age, Mark, and I probably <laughs> do too, uh, and, and we're used to that whole process there. So um, it's definitely worthwhile
0: doing. Um, oh, it's such a good tip, Brendan. And the, the, key, the two key points I always make are that it is hard to interpret. There, there are some good guidelines, but I generally find turtle bloods more difficult to interpret than, say, dogs or cats. But also, turtles are the king of the preservation reflex. They look fine until they're really, really deathly sick. And so any additional clues that you can get that something's not quite right with their kidneys or liver or whatever, that's useful information. And getting those regular bloods done at the same time of year because they have a
1: yes. an annual
0: cycle. Um uh, so you don't want to necessarily compare just coming out of brumation and going into reproductive activity with just going into brumation. But um, you're exactly right. That extra information you have from bloods can enhance your level of care and should be something we're recommending to all our turtle owners. 11 great tips, Brendan. You hit the bloody hell. They were uh, gems, everyone. There was no duds in there at all. Thank you very much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it's something that I... <sighs> I've been thinking about a topic like this for a while because it's such a common a common thing that we're exposed to, isn't it, with that new client, all the things that we want to jam into that consultation. And that's where having those handouts and, and the nurse consults, etc., also helps provide that um, during the limited time frame we have with them. So there you go, top 10 or 11 total tips for the Chelonian consultation, Mark. And I think with that, we're out of here and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus.